The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. I want to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm chapter 42. It's a message that's kind of been brewing in my heart over the last couple of months, and I just felt led to bring this this morning as, um, as I have... And as you have, I've heard so many different situations that people are going through within our body, and many of them you may not hear of. There are job losses, there are deaths, there are physical illnesses that people are facing, there are marriages on the brink of divorce. And the psalmist writes in this psalm what I, what I think God wants us to understand in that how as we walk and journey in our relationship to him, as our walk with him, there are days and there are times that we can be at our, our very lowest, yet at the same time, know that God never changes and God is faithful. How many can testify to that? And so I want us to read this psalm. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to read it aloud. You follow along with me beginning in verse 1. It's a familiar psalm probably to many of you. But the, the writer of the psalm begins by writing, As the deer pants for the flowing stream, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throne and lead them in procession to the house of God. With glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me, hoping God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and of Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep, at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. I pray to the God of my life, and I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me, hoping God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Father, I pray that as we look at the heartfelt writings of this psalmist, God, that, Lord, you would teach us as Christ followers, Lord, how to have hope in the middle of turmoil, God, to learn how to grieve well. God, to hold on to your sovereign hand and your faithfulness in our life, God, and at the same time, God, may we be gut-level honest with you where we are in our life. Oh, God, you know us. God, free our souls and our spirits, God, to have that fellowship with you that is completely vulnerable, 
honest and transparent. We ask it in Christ's name for his sake. Amen. You can be seated. I've entitled the message for Psalm 42 this morning as Spiritual Depression. That is not a title of my own. As a matter of fact, it's a title that I gained from a book that I had to read this this particular semester written by Dr. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones where he takes Psalm 42 and and he goes through it deeply and he entitles his book, Spiritual Depression. It's a book that I'd recommend to all of us to read uh, as he does a tremendous job in this psalm. And I want to share with you some things, some insight through what D. Martin Lloyd-Jones shared as he expounded on this psalm in his book, and also some things that I gleaned as I looked in deeply at this book and, and examined my own life and my own walk with God. And some of the things that the psalmist says resonate or have resonated deep within my soul. We have different categories of folks here today. We have a number of people that are high on the mountaintop, amen? Man, you just think you have arrived arrived, and you have finally figured out this Christian life. Some of you have been there only to find that as life turns on a dime, the following week you may find yourself deep in the valley. And if you've never been deep in the valley, I will promise you this, as you live on this earth, there will be a time where you are deep in the valley. It may not be there today, but it's coming. Now, that's good news for the body of Christ this morning. Amen? The good news is that whether we're high on the top or low in the valley, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and God is always working. Three things I want to hit real quickly just in kind of an overview of where this psalmist finds himself as he's writing this psalm. The first thing we recognize is that as he's writing, there are some incredibly difficult external pressures and oppression that are coming in his life at the time that he's writing this psalm. Look at the last half of verse 3. He writes, actually in the first half, he says, My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? It's not as if they had the question that they were trying to find God, but it's in the sense that whoever his adversaries were at this time, whoever those were that were taunting him, it was in a mimicking way. Where's your God now? You came to work yesterday and you said, praise the Lord. And the following day, you came to work and you said, I have no idea where he is. Look at verse 10. He states this, as with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? The second thing I want us to notice is not only are there external pressures that are coming in on this psalmist life, but there are also internal struggles, internal battles that he's depressed with, and he's full of turmoil as he's writing it. So if you can just kind of picture there, there's that external force, and then within there's that internal turmoil that he's going through. You ever been there? God, can I just get a break? 
It seems like every time I turn around, there's something happening. I need a break. Would you just stall life for a little bit? Because the pressures that are coming from without, they may be from family. They may be from coworkers. They may be from sheep within the body with fangs. Do you know sheep grow fangs sometimes? And then there are these eternal, internal emotions that he's feeling that are, that are very real to us. Oftentimes, verse 5, he says, why are you downcast, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Look at verse 11. He repeats the same thing. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in, why are, why are, why, why are you in, in turmoil, my soul? Very explicit adjectives that the psalmist used. Look again at the, at the first part of verse 3. He says, my tears have become my food day and night. And the last part of verse 7, he says, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. And so externally there are things happening to him. Internally there are all these things that are going on on within him, but in the midst of all of this, it seems as though he's fighting for hope. The writer in the Proverbs says that hope deferred or hope put off makes a heart sick. And so it's in the midst of all of this that he's feeling and he's sensing all of these things. Inside, there's a hope that he has, and he calls out in the last part of verse 5. He says, hoping God, as he's speaking to his own soul, hoping God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation of my God. I'm not praising him right now, but I have hope that this is a passing thing, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to pass tomorrow, right? No. It may go on for a long time. And he says, but I know at some point I'm going to praise because I have my hope in him. I have my hope in the last election, but that didn't work out for me. We need to repent of that, folks. My hope is in God. There's no other place that I can find hope except for in God. And I know there's coming a day where I'm going to hope in him again. Last part of verse 11, he says, Hope in God, for I shall praise him, my salvation and my God. Now we see what's happening here. Externally, he's got the pressure that's on him internally. And can I say, but having been through episodes like this in life, Sometimes I don't even know what's happening in me internally. Anybody else with me? I mean, I can't figure me out. You ever been there? Now, some well-meaning believer, brother or sister comes along and says, you know, I got the answer for you. No, you don't. Because externally, all this is on me. Internally, all this is happening. But yet, that's happening. I still have hope in God. It it almost seems like a a confused state, although it's not confused, but it it just seems that way. Now, what I want to look at real quickly are six ways that the psalmist responds in his situation. And again, some of you are in this this morning. Some of you are passing through. It's, it's kind of on the other side, but you're, you're still going through it. And some of you are going to go into it tomorrow, perhaps. Six ways that he responds. 
They're not necessarily in the order that they come in the psalm, but, but as I've thought about it, I see that there seems to be an order that, that we generally tend to refer to or go to as human beings in our relationship with God. The first thing is this. He asks very explicitly, why? You ever ask God, why? Oh, Maybe you didn't ask it in the midst of your small group or Sunday school class. Maybe you didn't ask it in the midst of the assembly of the congregation. And maybe you didn't vocalize it thinking that if I don't vocalize it, then God's not going to know that I'm asking why. But he asked God, why? Can I say that it's okay to ask God, why? Now, he's not obligated to, to give you or I an answer, but it's okay to ask God why. This particular psalm became very dear to me, this in Psalm 13, as, as I was going through still to this day the darkest period that we'd ever faced in our life. And can I tell you, I asked God over and over, God, why? And it wasn't in the earshot of other believers because I wanted them to think that I was spiritual and it didn't matter why, that God was in control. None of that changed. He is, but I wanted to know why. I can remember mornings sitting there in the cab of my pickup truck in the parking deck where I would back in and it would be quiet there and I'd put down the sun visor so it would be dark in the truck and I'd be pouring out over the psalm and I'd say, God, why? And can I be so candid to admit one morning I cursed God and threw my Bible on the dash? You ever felt that way? God, why? Why? Look what he says in verse 9. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? God, why do I go on mourning? You ever feel like God's forgotten you? You know he's there. But sometimes you, you just have this sense that God's forgotten me. God, God, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning? You know why he asked this question? Because that's what he feels like. And if any of us have lived the real Christian life, there are times where we feel as though God has forgotten us or God doesn't see us. Look at what he says in verse 8 of this. He says, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to my God, to the God of my life. And it, it, it's, it's kind of crazy. Look at what he says in, in the previous verse. By day and night the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song was in me, a prayer to the God of my life. And I say to my right, why have you forgotten me? You see what's happening here? He, he, he sees the goodness of God. He sees the grace of God. He sees the mercies of God. But at the same time, he's saying, God, why have you forgotten me? <laughs> it's so natural, isn't it? Isn't that the way we are? Then the, 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 the second thing, he, 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 when, he, when he asks God why, 
The second thing that he does, though, he, he seems to turn, and, and it's related to in verse 8, but he says he, he, he affirms God's sovereign love for him. I don't know about you, but the only thing that has gotten me through some times in my life is that while I may not feel and sense God's sovereign love, there is there that sense and knowing that God is sovereign and He loves me. I don't know why. I feel as though he's distant, but one thing I know is that that God is sovereign. I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know what the end is going to be, but I know that God's sovereign, and I know that God loves me. God, I don't like what's happening to me. God, I don't like the situation I'm in. God, I don't like the pain that I'm in, but God, I know that you're sovereign, and God, I know that you love me. And he repeats that, and he holds himself in that one of the greatest blessings for the believer to know and understand that solid rock doctrine that God is a sovereign, loving God. That there's absolutely nothing that passes into my life that doesn't first filter through his fingers and his hands and he loves me and God is in control. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know when it's going to work out. I don't even know, as Zach said, I don't know if it's going to work out on this side. But I know that God's sovereign and I know that God loves me. Look what he says in verse 8. Again, he says, by, by, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at, and at night his song is with me. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. You know the song? His mercies never will come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O God. Great is thy faithfulness. He says in verse 5, Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. It's hard to praise him now, but I know there's coming a time where I can praise him. I'm trying to praise him. I want to praise him, and, and I'm, I'm sometimes doing lip service to praise, but I know there's a day coming because I know that this is going to pass, and he's going to pass through it with me. Look at the third thing he does in verse 8. He sings to the Lord at night. I contend that it's always good to have a repertoire of songs that we can sing to the Lord. Hymnology, whether it be old hymns, whether it be new hymns, the psalmist said, sing to the Lord a new song. That's okay, right? Today we might sing the the hymn, the old song, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, it is well with my soul. Listen to a couple of songs I, I pulled out from the archives. This is by Isaac Watts, written 
from this psalm, actually. In 1806, Isaac Watts writes this, writes this. He says, how long will thou conceal thy face? My God, how long delay? When shall I feel those heavenly rays that chase my fears away? How long shall my poor laboring soul wrestle and toil in vain? A word can all my foes control and ease my raging pain. Arthur Mann writes this in the song from Psalm 13. How long will thou forget me? How long will thou forget me, O Lord? Now, God of grace, how long shall fears beset me while darkness hides thy face? How long shall griefs distress me and turn my day to night? How long shall foes oppress me and triumph in their might. O Lord, my God, behold me and hear my earnest cries. Lest sleep of death enfold me, enlighten thou mine eyes. Lest now my foe insulting should boast of his success and enemies exulting rejoice in my distress." Can I remind you that this is post-resurrection when these writers write these songs? You see, none of us are immune to these situations in life. None of us can have the idea that we might escape it. We may name it and claim it all day long, but God is sovereign king over all the earth in your life and my life as well. Amen? Fourth thing he does, he preaches to his own soul. You know, sometimes I got to talk to myself rather than listen to myself. Let me say that again. Sometimes I need to talk to myself rather than listen to myself. Why so downcast, O oh my soul? It's like the writers reflecting on the fact that, that God has incredible love for him, he's sovereign. He's reflecting on the fact that that God is gracious and God's an all-loving God. And at the same time, he's distressed in his soul. So he's, he's torn here. He says, soul, what's wrong with you? My phrase is, J-Mo, why are you such a knucklehead? D. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes this. Let me quote in his book, Spiritual Depression. He says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you, he says. Now, this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why are thou downcast, O my soul, he says. His soul has been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and he says, self, listen for a moment and I will speak. And it may be those things that we speak. There's neither height nor depth nor breadth nor width. There's nothing in, in all of creation that will ever be able to separate us from the love of God. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? 
I have been made the righteousness of God in Christ. I know that I'm I'm a sinner, but God has made me, he's made you, if you've trusted Christ, the righteousness of God in Christ. And don't listen to the enemy. Don't listen to another voice. Don't listen to yourself. Listen to what God says in his word and who you are in Christ and what he's made you to be. Amen? Fifth thing, he does this. He remembers. I love this. This, is, this should be fresh in mind. Verse 4, he says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. You know what this psalmist is remembering right now? He's remembering going to the house of God. This psalm, as it was written, it was instructed to be sung as a song, and he remembers going to the house of the Lord to worship God in song. It was intended to be written, and there are those times, and I'm afraid sometimes the only time that, that the assembly means a lot to us is when all hell breaks loose in our life. Didn't we learn anything through COVID? It's indispensable what God has given to us as the body of Christ to come together and to worship Him. We don't come together on Sunday mornings to see who we might want to see. That, oh, that's a benefit of it. There's, there's fellowship and there's relationship there. We don't come to Sunday morning services in corporate worship to critique all of the things that go on. Well, that, I didn't like this. I didn't like that. Well, the preacher preached too long. Amen. <laughs> Have I told you all this joke before? I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to add a minute to my sermon. I can remember years ago, I was in Romania, and I was in a large Baptist church, one of the ones that did not bow the knee to Ceausescu, praise God. And I was standing, sitting there on the platform, and the interpreter's next to me, and the pastor's on the other side, and I had not checked to find out how long I had to preach. So I leaned over to the interpreter. I said, how long do I have to preach this morning? And the interpreter asked the pastor in Romanian, how long does he have to preach? And the preacher said back, the interpreter says to me, he says, the preacher says, as long as the Holy Spirit allows. I thought I was in a church in Africa instead of Eastern Europe. But then the interpreter leans back over and he says, Sometimes the Holy Spirit's finished long before the preacher is. (laughs) What he's remembering is corporate worship. Zach reminded us this morning, why do we come here? We come here to give praise to the Almighty God. He is our audience. He's the one that we sing the songs of praise to. He's the one that we testify to in his goodness. He's the one that we pray to, and the center of our worship is the word of God, and he is the one that we hear speak through the word of God. We just simply expound what he's saying, but that is why we come here to corporately gather and worship, and I've learned in my 30-something years as walking with Christ that it is indispensable in my life. It is not optional. I need it. The body of Christ needs it, and God has designed it that way. 
I get disturbed. It, it, it concerns me of, 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 of kind of being popular now to have a number of churches that we might pop in. Well, let's see what they have for me today. Well, let's see what this one has for me today. I'm going to go over to this one today and see what they have. You know what? That's just like driving down 138 and seeing which fast food restaurant we want to eat at today. I just stepped on some toes. But God has designed us to be a part of a local church, and a part of that local church is not only to serve and to fulfill the mission that he's given to us to win, disciple, and sin, but a part of being a part of that local church is to come together on the Lord's day and worship him and magnify him. Number five, he does this. He remembers. I just gave you that one. Number six is this. And I'm closing on number six. He thirsts for God. He thirsts for God. Look at verses one and two. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And when shall I come and appear before God. Notice that in this psalm, he is not asking for relief in his situation. What he's saying is, God, in the midst of this, God, I need you. God, I'm thirsting for you. I was reminded last night when we were at, at uh, the Danforth house and we were looking through the book of Israel and, and, and the picture comes into my mind in that dry and arid desert land while we were there. It's, I don't see how anything lives in that part of the world. It's dry and it's desolate and there are very few tributaries or places for water. And I, I can picture the psalmist thinking of seeing that deer in that, in that desert land. And, and as it's maybe run from a predator in the day, or, or maybe it's had to climb to get, to get comfort. Maybe it's had to go way up there to find some little morsel to eat, and, and he's in the desert all day. And, and as God, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul thirsts for you. Can I say the only thing that will satisfy us, not only in these times of situations, but in all of life, is when we drink from the living water that Jesus offered and said, if you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again because there's nothing else that can satisfy your thirst like the water that he can give. I'm going to close with this. I want us to look at verse 11. The last part, he says, hoping God, for I shall again praise him, my God, my salvation. Interesting way in the original language, the way it ends there. There's no resolving of the situation. For those of you who are musicians, you know that when you when you play through a score, there's there's an order to the to the transition from one chord to the next, and, and you know that the next chord is going to lead to that next chord that that closes that stanza. But it never resolves. What is God saying there? 
God's saying that we don't know when the resolution is going to be, but in the midst of it, it doesn't change who God is and His faithfulness and His goodness and His mercies to us. He is God. And He is worthy of all of our praise. He's worthy of all of our honor. He's worthy of all of our glory. And you may be here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Can I tell you very lovingly and politely that there's no way you can praise Him until you first come into relationship through His Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.